0: Snap Production. Hi, this is Charles Fairley. Welcome back to Unsung Business Heroes, where we talk to small business about big ideas. Today we're hearing from Morrie Dobbin, the owner of Tele Resources, a telco consultancy in the western suburbs of Sydney. What I love about Morrie is his generosity with his knowledge. He's known globally as someone to talk to if you want to know about the latest in telco operations. He also places a lot of importance on having a long-term view of your industry and being generous with your knowledge, which he does in spades. So sit back and listen to some of Murray's gems.
1: I'm Murray Dobbin. I'm the Managing Director of Teleresources Engineering, a business that I've owned and managed for some 35 years.
0: Fantastic. And tell us what Teleresources does and what you've been working on. We're a
1: very specialised business today. It didn't start off that way, but uh, today our clients are the major operators, uh, Vodafone, Telstra, Optus here in Australia, TPG included, and across the ditch in New Zealand, uh, all of the carriers over there too. So we provide them with the tools that they use to design um, and test and operate their networks.
0: Hardware, software, what sort of tools?
1: Mostly software, some hardware. Yep. Uh, hardware on the testing side. Um, um, on the planning side, it's, it's all about mathematical engines that predict exactly the performance of their networks and enable them to plan them appropriately.
0: So the old algorithm, is that what it's all about? Many
1: or? algorithms and uh, some very fast number crunching computers are required these days. Yeah. Uh, because there are so many different aspects to mobile network design, those t- uh, engines need to take all of these into account and use a very complex algorithm to predict the performance of the radio wave. huh. Okay. And how did you get into that? Long story, of course, <laughs> given that the business has been running some 35 years. Yes. And it didn't start out doing that sort of thing because, of course, when I started the business, mobile didn't exist, practically speaking. But uh, it evolved from a management consultancy in the 80s into the software solutions business that it is today.
0: You had a newsletter that you created that was very well
1: regarded. When you're a small company and you're not well known, uh, you use all the mechanisms that can to get out there and uh, make people notice you. So I did start a newsletter back in around about 91 and ran it up to about 2003, 2004 And so people basically didn't want to pay for paper anymore and they only want to get things online Sure. but I called it the shop front to the consultancy, it demonstrated that we knew what we were talking about we were across the marketplace and it was very useful when we were doing a lot more consulting work than we are today.
0: Yeah but it must have been very difficult in those days, there wasn't the immediate search engines and the resources at hand online that we enjoy today. How did you get all that information?
1: I actually uh, attended and spoke and chaired many conferences in Australia and internationally. So it gave me a profile, if you like, and I would use those conferences to promote the newsletter and distribute it. Um, you can say that I was a quasi-journalist, if you can put it at that point, Yeah. because I attended some of the major international events as a journalist and reported on them um, in the newsletter.
0: Obviously, contacts around the world that you met at those conferences remained long-term Absolutely, friends. Absolutely, yes.
1: Yeah. No, uh, a number of those people um, that I count amongst my friends and business associates um, extend back for 20 and 30 uh, odd years.
0: And we spoke to a couple of them and they the common theme i guess was that you're a wealth of knowledge and you had uh, great foresight in the industry so what do you think makes you want to do that what is it benefiting your business to be the conduit for this information and sharing the knowledge do you love sharing things with people generally or
1: well i guess i'm not doing it um you know as a mouthpiece or promulgating it but it's part and parcel of being in business particularly if you want to advise or consult. And that was our principal business for 20 odd years. Um, We needed to be and we were advisors to people like Vodafone when they established their business uh, in this country and uh, many other similar organizations. I guess most recently um, it was Macquarie Bank where we advised them on the takeover of Crown Castle. That was a $2.2 billion transaction Wow, and uh, we were the technical advisors on that uh, transaction.
0: Fantastic. So, what keeps you motivated, more What's what's driving
1: you with all this
0: activity and the search hard to for knowledge? sort of
1: um, <laughs> keep myself down because if you stay abreast of what's happening in the mobile marketplace, and even today's, it's moving at such a fast rate. I attend conferences and listen to other people talking, and then come away from those conferences and think, how could I apply that? What would uh, be the business that is going to emerge in the next five years. I really believe that the next five years, we're going to see more change than has happened in the past 10. Really? And it's been fast acting in those 10, but
0: um, there's going to be
1: some really dramatic changes coming.
0: Are you talking about 5G now? We talked about that, didn't we?
1: Yes, internet of everything or the internet of things, depending on your point of view, Mm -hmm. uh, where everything is connected to everything else. And the primary mechanism for doing that is in fact wireless and mobile.
0: Right and everything's getting smaller,
1: Uh, including the world. (laughs) It is, but it's interesting if you remark on what's everything smaller. There was a time when, you know, in the beginning of the mobile uh, marketplace, we had very big and clunky phones. Sure. I used to say if you put one in your pocket, the antenna would stick up your nose. (laughs) Uh, But uh, then we got smaller and smaller and smaller, but that trend's reversing. Now, Now we've got phablets. Now we've got, we need to have a screen that actually displays information, not just a mouthpiece to talk into.
0: Yes, it's all about the user experience obviously.
1: Absolutely, and that experience has changed from just wanting to have voice wherever you go into wanting having data and, and obviously access to the internet.
0: Yes, absolutely. So Murray, a little bit about where you started from, both in terms of where you grew up and your business start in life, how that evolved?
1: Yes, very humble beginnings. Um, uh, single mother, Um, really worked very hard to keep uh, myself and my sister um, together Um, I had a very early idea that I wanted to be um, a flyer, I wanted to be in the Air Force Really. and I pursued uh, that particular dream and in fact was selected as a cadet in the Air Force and I joined the Air Force when I was just 16 years old Ah. so I graduated as a uh, junior officer at 19, um, still in my teens, and then get thrust into situations where people that are 20 and 30 years older than you um, have to call you sir and salute you, even though you're a wet behind the ear, boggy, if you like, at that time and really know nothing. So it was a good discipline. It was a good way to learn how to work with people. Sure. From a leadership point of view. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it was something that... I spent some nine years in the Air Force, Oh, wow! six years after I graduated. And I, in fact, went through RMIT and studied communications engineering. So that was my basic uh, engineering qualification. And uh, along the way though, these ideas pop into your head about opportunities. There was one time where I could have taken an entirely different direction um, because whilst I was still in the Air Force, in fact, in Canberra, I started up and ran a discotheque Ah, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I couldn't be really the front man. I could be the person behind the scenes uh, to it. But uh, yeah, we, we ran for a couple of years. We had the very first computerized light shows in a discotheque in Canberra. The um, yep. We employed a guy called LSD Fogg. Really? So we set up our lights and run it. And this was all <laughs> brand new, you know, running movies on the walls and things like that. Sure. And but we had, you know, top bands like uh, Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs, oh, okay. uh, Wendy Saddington, The Chain. Fantastic. So it was interesting. And we made some money, we lost some money, but had a bit of fun along the way. This is still in the Air Force? Or still after? in the Air Force, okay. right? Yep. Uh, up until the time we thought, do I really want to fly? Because I didn't actually go into an entry level, which got me through into the flying program. I, I left school just a year too early, and instead of going through Point Cook, where I could have been actually learning to fly, yep. I went through a place called Frognall in Albert in, uh, in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So that qualified me in engineering. Yes, I could apply to be a pilot, and, but that would have actually meant another six years Uh, return of service after graduation. And I looked very hard and saying, you know, do I really want to be spending my life in the Air Force? Yes. And uh, I questioned, in fact, wasn't I even doing engineering at the time? So I decided, you know, I really needed to prove to myself that I could be an engineer. So I got out after those six years. I had a number of opportunities uh, with different organisations to join, but I chose An American company that had just uh, won a project up in Papua New Guinea and uh, in fact two weeks after I joined that company a helicopter dropped me onto this remote mountaintop site outside of Ley um, with a pile of test equipment and said when you get this site working and you can talk to us we'll send the helicopter to get you off. It's great incentive to learn, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, you think about it. In the Air Force, I always had a corporal, a sergeant, a flight sergeant there mm. that would do yep. everything for me. Yep. No one else there, you know, hands-on, you know, wow. if you had to terminate an N-type connector of a cable, you had to do it yourself. Yeah. You had to climb up this tower, you did it yourself. Yep. But so you did it. We did it, yeah. I spent six months uh, on that project. From mountaintop to jungle to swamp along the way, and I learned mm. more in six months than I've learned in six years. I'm sure, I'm sure. And just skipping back to your childhood and with mum,
0: do you mind me asking what happened to your dad? Is that um, story? My there?
1: dad left at a very uh, early age. Okay. Uh, so she had to struggle on her own to but get l- through it. A lot
0: of that would have fallen on your shoulders too, I'm um, sure.
1: More on my As you sister. Got older. My sister was nine years older than me, oh, so she bore the brunt of that. and. Uh, Uh, So I really needed to get out there and do it myself. She couldn't provide the support to put me through education and I was lucky enough Mm. to join the Air Force and get them to train me.
0: Sure, sure. A lot of people did that and it was a very effective entree to business.
1: I did, um, in that same period of time, uh, earn money myself. I mean, I've stood on a street corner in Melbourne and sold newspapers. Really? Yep. Ah, so, fantastic. You know, get your late extra, get your final. That's pretty entrepreneurial. Um, you, you learn well, how people. Yeah, straight after school, jump on the tram, go all the way into the city. Yep. Do that for a couple of hours, come back with the uh, the money and count it out, and yeah. So again, it's grassroots business. It's grassroots of business, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I'm sure your mum would have been really proud of you.
1: She was, uh, absolutely, um, Just all the way through a long life. And I'm sure your
0: children and grandchildren would be very proud of what you've achieved too.
1: I believe so yes and you know I'm looking at this actually being a legacy for them to hear me speak about my life um, even if they're not actually if I'm not around to tell them myself. I actually first started a business which was called LSE lorry systems engineers and we're talking circa 1979 or thereabouts. Wow. During my time in Papua New Guinea we worked with a particular technology called tropospheric scatter no one really he- hears about it today it's passé old technology right. but it was a way to communicate over long distances without having relay stations in between. Ah. An opportunity came back in Papua New Guinea Uh, long after I did that initial um, project. And uh, the company I was working for at the time was Plessy Australia. And I approached Plessy and said, hey, uh, there's an opportunity, I think that we can win up there to do this job. But they really didn't and weren't interested. A friend of mine, actually in the same hockey team, because another long-term interest of mine, that I got whilst I was in the Air Force, was playing field hockey.
0: And you still play today, And you? I
1: still play today at, uh, yes, I'm playing in fact in a month or two's time. Fantastic. Up in Lismore in the Australian National Championships. Really? Um, yeah. I'm not so good, I'm just a survivor, <laughs> right? My knees still work, my hips still work, um, sure. everything else, and there's a lot of people, much better than me, along the way that have dropped out.
0: Yeah, well you're very lucky, but obviously you've looked after yourself too, and it's a great way to keep fit and have that team work in the spirit of the camaraderie.
1: and. Absolutely. So again, that gets, speaks to teamwork, and it also speaks to you know, being well enough um, to be able to take the long-haul view of these things. Yeah. But anyway, yes, uh, this friend of mine and the hockey team said, oh, you know, come and work in our organization, and you can start up this new business, and they you know, gave me a kickstart. Uh, I owned, only owned 15 percent of the business at that time, but you know, we went out and we won this project in New Guinea, and, and we wanted a project to actually back with the Air Force and building air traffic control towers. Mm. And um, it went on until a point that I decided uh, that I wanted to really run my own business and not be just a 15 percent shareholder. And that was the time that I established TeleResources in Australia. And, and my first client or one of my very first clients was, in fact, Nokia. So I helped Nokia establish themselves um, in this country. Right. Um, at the start of my business, we, I was an advisor, if you like, a, a marketing advisor, to tell them about where they could apply their products. Uh, today, what we do is to support Nokia in its implementation of mobile networks for the major carriers. So we help them test their networks.
0: Well, it's obviously a very important part of the whole process of product development and, and and running the business. So you're a key element there, I'm sure. But must be big contracts in some of those tower construction
1: roles. and They are. We we play a minor role. Um, not minor, but important role along the way uh, yep. to that. But um, no, I, I think that reinvention is one of the most important aspects of running a business. If you want to stay mm-hmm. in it for the long haul, mm-hmm. you can't just... Uh, run it into the ground doing one thing. Sure. Uh, every business has got a cycle to it in terms of the market it's addressing. So the idea is that uh, if that market changes and we only have to look at the mobile phone industry and how that market has changed along mm. the time uh, to understand that you can't stand still. You have to identify the key trends and then move on. And that's why we transitioned from a business which was first of all just me Uh, individually providing consulting and advice into a business where I employed other consultants that had different skills that could in turn widen the sort of opportunity and the client base that we had Hmm. into saying well there's only so many hours in a day and there's only so much you can charge for those hours what you need is recurring revenue stream and that's again most of the most important things in establishing a business yeah and that is to get yourself into a recurring revenue stream. And we have that today because we moved into supplying and supporting software, software used by those same clients we are advising. Uh-huh. And that's a subscription model? Yeah, it goes back to around the early 90s when a company um, at that time called Stanilite, uh was bidding for the government radio network and they needed to put forward a plan on how they would in fact uh, design and build that network. And I had been to a conference in the United States and met a small company based in Oregon uh, over there that had a tool to predict the performance of mobile radio networks. Right. So we used that particular tool to help that client uh, put forward its plan to the New South Wales government at that time. We were so impressed with the, its performance, we decided there has to be a market out there that other people would want to use that.
0: Right.
1: So that was our very first supplier, our partner, technology partner, that we engaged with to represent that company in the Australian marketplace uh, to sell and support that software. But
0: the, the clever part is that you could see that, as you said earlier, you, you spotted a trend, correct, and you kept in front of that trend and. To my mind then that says well there was a bit of a risk in that because you're predicting the future really
1: aren't you Well are yeah, the investment was an investment in time and effort to understand the software and then to ov- obviously go out there and identify the market for that software and convince people that this was something that they should purchase uh, we still hold that distribution agreement with that company today really, really? so you know it's almost 30 years later yeah. And, uh, it's interesting, we come back to the long-term relationships again, don't absolutely. we? Absolutely. Yeah. So when we've established these relationships, often with fairly small players in the marketplace, and we work with them to sell their product, when they don't have the wherewithal to establish their own offices in this country, they have to rely on a partner to do this distribution. Yeah, works for them well. There is risks uh, for companies like ourselves, because those small companies can get acquired by bigger companies. Of course. And overnight, we can lose the ability to sell and distribute that product. And that's happened to me numerous times Mm -hmm. along the way over that period. Especially if you've got too many eggs in one basket. You need diversification, uh, which is another very important thing. When I established the consulting business in the 80s, and I mentioned Nokia was an important client. In fact, they were something like 80 or 90 percent of my business at that time. Um, And obviously over that period, they did establish their own office here and didn't need me anymore. So you you need to diversify your client base. Yes, Um, absolutely. That lesson came home more recently to me um, in around about 2012, when we won a major project uh, with Huawei, Mm -hmm. the Chinese uh, company that uh, provides infrastructure they just won a major project with Vodafone and then with Optus uh, to build out an enhanced 3G network and a 4G network. Um, they were relatively recent entry to Australia, therefore they didn't have the support that they have today yep. and they needed to find people that could work with them to help them test the network that they were deploying. So we won that particular uh, project, um, and it gave us a new skill. But once again, um, we found we had a project on our hands which represented 70 to 80% of our business. And when that project finished early, after Mm. only just one year, again, we had to scale down very rapidly.
0: Yeah, vulnerable to that. Very vulnerable Mm. to that. So
1: it is a lesson. Um, sure. In that particular case though, what we did was identify what was going to happen and retain the key skills that we built up in, in doing that project. Fantastic. I think if, if you look at the what I've achieved over this period of time it does go back to the earliest roots. My family's struggle, the fact that I had to earn my own money if I wanted to buy anything, if I wanted to have a camera or anything I would need to have the money to do it myself because my mother didn't have that wherewithal. She she worked uh, very hard as a seamstress. She would take things at home and she would uh, Mm. uh, make clothing on the floor of our living room. And these were hard times. So getting out there and doing that myself, um, even earlier than standing on that street corner selling the Herald... I cycled um, five or six kilometers from where I lived in Northcote to Brunswick to deliver a local paper. I think I got paid a dollar, 10 shillings or something like that at that time for um, riding my bike around and distributing that local paper and then I'd cycle five kilometers back. So yeah, you, you have to have... The determination, you can't rely on other people. You have to do it yourself if you want to get ahead. Mm -hmm. And I've always found that uh, uh, you you need to steal yourself inside. This is where you want to go. This is what you have to do to get there.
0: Any parallels or um, origins from the Air Force that you're applying in your business today that you can see?
1: I probably could have taken many different paths, if you like, out of, out of the Air Force, including you know, going full-time into the promotions business <laughs> instead of following the engineering business. Hmm. But you know, the thread is about, that I studied communications engineering. And this is back when there were still valves and, and things that glowed in the dark at the back of your uh, radio, if you like. Sure. And, and today, you know, we're talking about processing power, vastly in in excess of what mm. could be done then. What I've done is to follow through the radio communications technology all the way to being, if you like, state-of-the-art delivery and building and designing state-of-the-art networks today. So that grounding that I got through RMIT, so as a full-time student at RMIT, mm-hmm. as well as full-time Air Force training. So I got the discipline side from the Air Force, but I got the, the technical know-how at RMIT itself. Yep. And what I've done is by going to these international conferences, and uh, one of them is, is called the Mobile World Congress today. Um, I went to it first in the mid 90s uh, when it was an unknown conference with about 500 people attending it. Right. I'll be going to it again uh, next year. I'm already actually planning for it at the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it now gets 110,000 people, and now it has several thousand companies that are exhibiting at it, as well as mm. speakers from all around the world talking about 5G, IoT, and the things that are, are flowing from that. So I've kept my knowledge up to date, is what I'm saying. Yes. No, I didn't go back and do postgraduate uh, degrees and that, but what I did was to keep my industry knowledge up to date. And this is part of being respected about speaking about the marketplace, being invited to be a speaker at international events. And I've spoken in Beijing, I've spoken in New Delhi, Singapore, and even in, in France and in, in Cannes at the Mobile World Congress. So um, that gives you a certain amount of respect for what you know, but your knowledge is only as good as what you're learning. Sure. You need to keep learning. You can't stand still that way.
0: I hope you enjoyed our chat and got some really great tips, both for business and for life. Don't forget to have a look at unsungbusinessheroes.com.au and check out all our videos on YouTube. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. All these stories are available in our second book, Unsung Business Heroes, which is available right now. And if you'd like to get a free notification every time there's a new Unsung Business Heroes episode, just hit the subscribe button. Unsung Business Heroes was presented by me, Charles Fairley, the executive producer was Jenny Goggin. Listener